Hi, I'm Ashley, and I'm a teacher in Georgia. And I'm Talia, and I'm studying to be a crime scene tech in Colorado. And we're... A teacher in a crime scene tech? Walk into a bar. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm great. I just fueled myself with the breakfast of champions, which was uh, chocolate chip cookies and bang energy drink. So I'm Yum. here. I'm that here sounds, for the party. That sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a special guest with us today. Brad from Killin' Missin' Hidden podcast is joining us this time. Yeah. Our homie Brad. Yeah. So exciting. Yeah. So do you want to go ahead and um, do your introduction and tell us a little bit about your, your podcast and then we can give you our fun icebreaker? I can certainly do that. Okay. So I'm Brad. I'm an attorney. So Hi, please Brad. don't judge me. Hi. <laughs> uh, I run Killing Missing Hidden, where we talk about a lot of true crime and missing persons and sometimes just weirdness in the world. There's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. We release our episodes every Tuesday. And I don't know what else to say beyond that. <laughs> well, you're available on all podcasts. All podcast platforms, correct? I, think so. I hope trying to be <laughs> most of them. Yeah, we don't even know what we're on either. So I think most of them. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna spin the wheel of BS for Brad, which we did like two weeks ago for us, and just that bonus episode. We're gonna give you a true crime themed "Would You Rather" question. Yes. Here we if go. If you if you want to answer more than one, you can. Just tell us. <laughs> Here. We have a whole wheel of them. There's only like eight. I want 50 minutes of me answering these questions. <laughs> I kind of want that also. <laughs> I know. All right. one of my favorite ones would you rather walk in on btk and lingerie or would you rather walk in on john wayne gacy and his clown makeup and attire all right this is they're both terrifying this is just very soul destroying to have to think about brad's eyes are closed and he is Stealing himself to answer this horrifying question. I thought discussing yes. Oompa Loompas last time we got together was bad, but this this is this is significantly worse. worse. This one is way worse. I, um, I don't think I could do clowns. So I had that same answer. My I would rather see um, BTK from afar through a um, telescope, so you could look away really fast. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't mean to see that. I, I don't really want like to that. answer in the form of I would rather. <laughs> if you had to choose I yeah. would rather not see Gacy yeah. and his horribleness he is a scary man they I both are I chose uh, bleach my eyeballs <laughs> that wasn't the one of the options I was given <laughs> let's you give can... Brad one more okay okay one more just just for fun before we just, dive into yeah, this bad. is a blast <laughs> Because <laughs> Brad's enjoying this so For much. Us. Okay. And <laughs> okay, this is my 
my second favorite one. Would you rather sit next to Ed Kemper or Manson on a plane and hear about all of their everything? I think um, I think Manson would be pretty entertaining. That's that what was, I said. That was Talia's answer. Yeah. Um, as long as he's properly restrained. Oh yeah. <laughs> he was a small man. He was only five two. Yeah. So he's. But he had lots of the crazy in him, which makes up for his lack of size. He had big yeah. crazy in that small body. <laughs> he really did. But lots of crazy. That plane ride would be so painful. He would never shut up. No, I. Agree. I would love it. I agree. <laughs> But just to have that time to delve into such a crazy mind and see what color the sky was in his world would be... That's right. I agree. I, yeah, he's just... He's an interesting person. I All the documentaries, I can't get enough of watching about him. Ashley's bored by him, but I he's interesting. <laughs> I would rather listen to Kemper, but I wouldn't want to sit next to him on a plane because he was, number one, gigantic, and number two, liked to murder women, so... Yeah. Yeah, I don't have that same yeah. concern. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was a big man. All right. Okay. Are we ready to talk some true crime? I was like, don't not say it when Brad's here. You have to give I'm your catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> are I we ready? I think we're ready. I think um, guests go first. Yeah. Wait. Or do you want to fight us for it, Brad? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Is it Mommy Shark versus no, no. versus no. your? <laughs> no. Versus okay. BTK and Laundry. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will do whatever y'all say. I will be totally subservient. Just please don't put me in that position. Okay. <laughs> poor, poor Brad. He's We will never this. do that to you again. Never. <laughs> Actually, I can't promise that. Well, I asked the question, <laughs> so it was really my fault. I just didn't expect such depravity. <laughs> that was your it's mistake. You should have. <laughs> I underestimated y'all. Yeah. All right. So you, I guess you're first then. All right. Well, I tried to be semi-short so I didn't dominate the episode. But I was blessed by the wonderful wheel of murder with the topic of serial killers. Apparently it knew that I was not capable of taking on a topic too specific or requiring too much work. <laughs> I did consider for a hot minute, you know, just rehashing one of the serial killers I've covered on my podcast. But I decided that Ashley and Talila deserve better than a retread. I scoured the internet like the brave little explorer I am and tried to find a case that would meet the high standards of this podcast while still requiring me to do as little work as possible. And so I found one that I think does this and would still entertain all the little schmetterlings out there. Did I say that correctly? Yes. Aw, you did. That made my heart really happy. Well, good, good. <laughs> Also, we try to, you know, do as little work as possible, so you're in good company. <laughs> That's yeah. my philosophy at my real job, so why change it for the podcast, you know? <laughs> That's, there you go. All right, so I have brought with me the tale of Vicki Dawn Jackson, who perhaps is better known as the Angel of Death. Mm -hmm. Vicki was a nurse who worked at the Nokana General Hospital in northwest Texas, which was just south of the Oklahoma border. She was 36 years old at the time of our tale, and she loved being a nurse. Wait, sorry, typo. She hated being a nurse. No, hated no. It. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> well, most of her peers were friendly and joked around with their patients. Vicky seemed to kind of get angered when her patients asked for anything. So I imagine Ben Stiller's character in Happy Gilmore 
just in a female form. <laughs> Which means she also obviously had the perfect temperament to be a nurse. And I'm sure this is where the angel part of her angel of death nickname came from. So we'll start, you know, where all stories should begin. Two-thirds of the way through the tale. Vicky was accused by a patient, a fellow by the name of Don Lee Reed, of inserting a needle into his IV and injecting something. She refused to tell him what it was, and he subsequently passed out. Now, fortunately, he regained consciousness and immediately summoned his doctor and snitched on her. This caused Vicky to lose her job that she obviously loved so much in February of 2001. What Vicky had done was inject a drug known as myvarcum chloride into Mr. Reed's body. And this is a muscle relaxant. Oh, no. Yes. And it will cause all muscles to relax if you're just giving a wink too much. Oh, no. Now, oddly, the hospital had discovered a few months ago that several jars... About 20 jars of this myovo, what, myvicarium chloride had gone missing, and no one could account for the medicine. But, you know, why do an internal investigation over something that could kill people? No, no. Why? Me- medicine goes missing all the time, right? Too much work. Yeah. Little wor- as little, little work as possible. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's our, our philosophy. They're just living by our philosophy. They're just living by our rules. Yeah. <laughs> and and the problem with that is I think if we're lazy no nobody dies. <laughs> yeah. I don't think our philosophy should be uh applied to hospital management. I don't <laughs> yeah, think that's so. a great idea. Or, or investigations. If no. I was king of the world that would be a rule I would put down. Uh, but anyway, uh this uh this is kind of my favorite part of the story. Even when the hospital suffered what one doctor then described in a deposition as a run of bad luck, when eight patients died in 11 days in late December slash early January of 2000-2001, no alarm bells went off, no investigations were conducted. It was just one of those things. It's just bad luck, you know. Right. It happens. We're just having an off week. Yeah. <laughs> What the fuck? <laughs> Even some of the nursing staff had reported to the administration that, you know, we saw Vicky leaving the room shortly before the patient died. No connection was made. Come on, guys. <laughs> this hospital wasn't huge. It only had 40 beds. So that's 20% of your beds dying in less than two weeks. That's even worse. That's really concerning. Like, I'm if it's sure. a big hospital with thousands of patients, then okay, maybe eight patients die and goes under the radar. Mm-hmm. You only have 40 patients? Yeah. That's really bad. Yeah. Not a good look. Not a good look. That's right. And every fifth <laughs> one is dropping dead for out of the blue. No reason. Not a good way to beat people. I'm sure that's yeah. just how business was done, you know, at this hospital. Mm-hmm. Good God. Now, fortunately, kind of everything started to fall into place once Vicky was fired, um, because that's when the police were finally called in. And they were quickly to, uh, able to identify that, you know, four of these deaths appeared to be murders. All four of the victims were above the age of 65. Actually, three of them were in their 80s and 90s, I believe. And all died shortly after this medicine went missing. One of the victims was 91-year-old E.E. Jackson who is Vicky's husband's grandfather. Oh, what a witch. Oh, yeah. Oh, it gets better. Don't worry. Don't worry. Oh, good. 
Now, by reviewing medical records, police were able to determine that another six potential victims, almost all of whom happened to be in their 80s when they died, uh, had this drug in their body. And the most remarkable, remarkable part of this to me is that none of the detectives had medical degrees. They just used common sense to solve this little crime. Right. And all the people with medical degrees were like, I don't know, we're stumped. Uh, This is so weird. Yeah. (laughs) Who knows? happening. (laughs) Now, I'm not trying to bash the medical profession as a whole. (laughs) I just find it kind of frustrating when this one little hospital turns into the fields of Gettysburg from the Civil War. (laughs) And nobody really batted an eye. And, you know, they just chalk it up to bad luck that all their elderly patients keep losing the ability to breathe. It's just the darndest thing. Especially when you've lost 20 vials of medicine that causes you to stop breathing. I hate everything. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So the police ultimately found that there may have been as many as 25 victims of Vicky's murderous efforts, but some of them survived during her short period of employment at this hospital. Additionally, police found a used syringe with traces of this drug that was in the nurse's garbage. At this point, I have to say shout out to the poor cop that had to dig through all the biohazard material. Oh, yikes. And again, like we've kind of been stressing, this is just one hospital. Vicky actually had a history of bouncing from medical facility to medical facility because she would, quote, get bored if she hung around at one spot too long. And, you know, I, I reckon that's her cute way of saying that she was worried she was about to get caught. I was about to yeah. say. And yeah, to, um, I think that's accurate. To kind of ratchet up the creepy factor, before she worked at Nakona General, she worked at several nursing homes. No. Yeah. Why is it the old people? I don't like that. Mm-mm. Leave them alone. I, they didn't survive world wars and polio for nurse dumb butt to take them out. Yeah. <sighs> well, again, she's not someone you want to give a hug to. No, definitely not. I don't even like hugs. <laughs> <laughs> so I especially wouldn't want to hug Yeah. Her. <laughs> so if you were going to break that trend, it wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, um, considering that her victim profile was the elderly and she was brash enough to kill eight people in 11 days right before getting caught, I'm kind of thinking that the 25 body count number is very conservative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her, her efforts at this hospital don't strike me as her first rodeo. Now, uh, according to Murderpedia.org, a website that we can all agree is the tops. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. We love it. Everybody does. Shout out to Murderpedia. That's right. Sponsor us. Sponsor us. <laughs> you help make us lazy. <laughs> That's right. It had a whole slew of articles about Vicky's shenanigans. One of them being uh, credited as to LubbockOnline.com. Had an interview with her then 18-year-old daughter. And the one quote that stood out to me from the interview was, quote, I don't know if she did it or not, but she's perfectly capable of it. That's her own daughter saying this. Warm sentiments Jeez. to your mother. Yes. So Have you, I'm sorry, have you heard of the case of Janine Jones? Not by name, no. Okay, she's like the complete opposite of um, the nurse, I'm sorry, what's the nurse's name? Nurse it's, uh, Vicky. Vicky Dawn. Yeah, yeah, Nurse Vicky. She's like the complete opposite, but she would do that to babies. But she's in Texas too. Texas needs to get it together. What's happening in Texas? There's something in the water. <laughs> yeah. 
the nurse is there. Just in the hospital water, apparently. Just in yeah. the just in the nursing lounge. <laughs> yes. Crazy. That's very stressful. Yeah. After mm-hmm. hearing this quote from her daughter, I know you both will be shocked, but um, her ex-husband said that Vicky had kind of a bad habit of slapping the children and was generally in a bad mood when she was at home. Hmm. This man stayed married to Vicky for 12 years before finally divorcing her in 1996. Jeez Louise. And kind of remarkably, he was able to get custody of the couple's children. Probably because she was in such a bad mood all the time. Well, yeah. Yeah. That probably made her happy. (laughs) She's like, just take them. I don't care. So Vicky was ultimately indicted for the deaths slash murders of 10 patients and the attempted murder of an 11th. She was set to go to trial in October of 2006 when something surprising happened. She, out of nowhere, changed her plea from not guilty to no contest and was sentenced to life in prison. Her attorney said Vicky made this decision because it meant she did not have to admit guilt, she would not be found guilty by a jury, and she would not have to listen to her own daughter testify against her. What? Brad, can you attorney us really fast and tell us the difference between no contest and guilty? Absolutely. What's the difference between those pleas? So... And there's the Alfred plea, too. They're, they're all kind of confusing. Yeah, so basically what happened here was she pled no contest, which is kind of one of the greatest inventions ever for both criminal lawyers and prosecutors because it creates this kind of legal fiction where defendants can say, well, I didn't plead guilty, but they still get punished as if they were found guilty. In Alabama, we actually call them best interest pleas, with the justification being that the client and the defense attorney have determined that the odds of winning at trial are so low, it's in the client's best interest to plead guilty. Um, Interesting. Enter a best interest plea. There's no meaningful material difference between pleading guilty and no contest. Other than... You don't have to say you're guilty? Well, there's that, but the the one practical benefit you get from a no contest plea is if you're a person of assets, that Mm. because you didn't plead guilty, the guilty plea can't be used against you in a civil trial. Interesting. Okay. But for most of us, you know, if my butt goes to jail, I ain't making money. There's nothing (laughs) to take. You can sue me all you want. Right. (laughs) So that's the big difference. And if you want to be, you know, like a law nerd about it, it's originally called a nolo contendere plea. And some jurisdictions Mm -hmm. still use that because it's Latin and lawyers like Latin. It makes us sound smart. Yeah. I had to take a law class and like everything sounded the same. I I passed it (laughs) with flying colors, but Yeah. So, um, and you know, it's, it's surprising that she would do this to me because she was facing capital murder charges, but the prosecution had said, we're not seeking the death penalty, which meant under the law, the only sentence that she could be given was life without parole. Right. And Um, so, I mean, to me as a former defense attorney, it's like, well, why not just gamble and hope something terrible happens at trial and you win? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, otherwise you're, I mean, you're getting life in prison either way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, your worst case scenario is doesn't change. You still get life in prison, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, now, neither police nor prosecutors could offer a motive, but it seems like from looking over everything, her targets were, at least in part, her victims in petty revenge. For example, 
She killed her husband's grandfather because she was mad at her husband that day. Oh. That day? That day. <laughs> well, she sounds like she was angry all the time, in fairness. <laughs> okay, okay. I asked him to take the trash out, and he just did not, so R.I.P. Granddad. <laughs> That's right. You're done. You're done. Um, another patient didn't like her and referred to her as the fat-ass nurse, and so he didn't get out of the hospital. <laughs> That is rude. That's, that's, just, rude. that's just hateful. But I mean, <laughs> I agree. But I think her reaction was a little strong. <laughs> I would, yeah, that is I mean. would say a gross overreaction. But <laughs> if she, like no pudding for you today, that's it. Or if that's... you have to inject him with something, maybe something that just makes him poop nonstop, but doesn't. <laughs> no pudding is yeah. the correct reaction, yeah. not murder. <laughs> yeah. You do not get pudding. No jello cups for you, sir. No. <laughs> um, one of her few youthful targets was a high school girl who had rejected her son's romantic advances. Shut up. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't paint her in a positive light. Now, in fairness to her, even though she sounds like a monster, there may be kind of a pseudo-explanation for this because she wasn't always this way. She apparently, in the 90s, had a record of being a very good nurse. She won awards. She was loved by her staff and her patients and all that. And she, you know, was living in a small town, and most knew her, and they thought pretty highly of her. And so when this news came out, they were just totally shocked. But what happened is the year 2000. Um, This year, everything kind of fell apart in her life. This is when she lost custody of her children to her ex-husband. She remarried and suffered a miscarriage because her new husband was abusive. Oh, that's awful. A relative that she was very close to died, and her psychiatrist diagnosed her with bipolar disorder. And all of this happened shortly before she started her killing spree. So she may have just snapped. Yeah, that's a lot Yeah, in one year. You know, it's, I I don't know if she just kind of snapped in such a way that she became a totally different person or if she felt so numb that, you know, committing murder was adding some spice into her life. But that's the best people can really get to offering a motive was the petty revenge mixed with her bad run of luck in the year 2000. Mm. That's my serial killer story. I hope it appeases the will of murder. I've never heard that That one before. That's good. I know. Well, thank you. No, that one was good. Terrifying, terrifying, but good. Very much so, yes. <laughs> There's something so terrifying and ominous about um, people who are supposed to be, you know, taking care of you, who end up sneakily murdering you. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm always very nice to nurses. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> same. I have never called one a fat ass that I know of. <laughs> That's good. That's That's good. a good rule to live by, Brad. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's gonna try to save your life. You don't call them right, names. Yeah. Right. They might do more do than that. tamper with your pudding. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. Brad, before we move on, I just have a question for you. Where in Alabama are you from? Uh, I actually grew up just outside of Birmingham. Oh, okay. And it wasn't until recently, because of my job, I had to move down to Montgomery. So. Oh, okay. My 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 dad is from Mobile, and that's where my parents got married. So you said, you said Alabama, and I was like, I have to know. Yeah. I have to know these things. <laughs> yep. 
Not that far south, but in the south. Gotcha. All right. Are you ready, Tolaya? Yes, I'm ready. All right, Brad. Ready when you are. The wheel gave us a super... My least favorite. (laughs) A super fuzzy feel-good topic. Yay. Family annihilators. Yeah. So we're splitting this tale up. We're taking turns. Tag team. Mm -hmm. Tag team. Jump in whenever you have a thought or a burning comment. I I will try. Okay. (laughs) All right. I'm starting. So do we want to say what we're talking about or we just want to jump in? I mean... We give it away in the first sentence, so we can just tell. We can just say who it is. So we are going to be covering the topic of one of the most infamous family annihilators, John List. Evil man. So evil. So the List family seemed to be the perfect family from the outside. John List had a job at a profitable bank. The family attended church every week, and they lived in a mansion. I wrote they attended church every month. I think they attended <laughs> church more than that, but that, those would both be true statements. <laughs> they if did you're going every week. Indeed. You are going every month. Attend every month and, and every, every week. week. <laughs> they were more than just uh, Christmas Easter onlys. They went quite frequently. They lived in a mansion, and they were the picture perfect American family in 1965. John List was born in Bay City, Michigan, in 1925. His parents were German-Americans, and he was their only child. The family were devout Lutherans, and for a time, John taught Sunday school. During World War II, he served in the Army and then went on to attend college for business. While in college, he met Helen, and the two began dating. During the course of their dating life, Helen told John that she was pregnant, and John, having strict religious views, married her. Not long after the wedding, Helen revealed jokes. She was never pregnant. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> the yeah. world's funniest joke. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that I'm laughing. I, do too. I feel bad, but not that bad. Uh, no. As soon as the ink was dry on that marriage certificate, she was like, "Psych, <laughs> you've been, I gotcha. you've been punked." Yeah, we're building this marriage on lies. <laughs> All on yeah. lies. So the tension in the list's lives obviously began to build due to this situation. But due to John's religious beliefs, he was not going to divorce her. Though Helen was not pregnant at the time of the wedding, the two quickly started their family. After four years, John and Helen had three children. John felt mounting pressure to provide the perfect life for his family He lived outside his means, considering that he really struggled to hold down a job. He was never questioned about the quality of his work or his work ethic, but he often rubbed people the wrong way. People just did not like him. So finally, when John landed a job as the vice president at a bank, he felt like the family's struggles were over. Helen demanded that John buy her the house that she had always wanted, So he bought her a 19-room mansion called Breeze Knoll. It was the most expensive home in the town that they lived in, and Helen just had to have it. Well, a woman like that, you know, is is of certain tastes and deserves the best. (laughs) Right. Yeah. She's she's very demanding, considering uh, the way that she hoodwinked him into marriage. Yeah. Yeah. I know that I tricked you, but buy me a mansion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's only fair. Uh, it's only fair. 
Come on. <laughs> Have you seen I me? Deserve I deserve it. Buy me this. And they really couldn't afford it, but John just didn't feel like fighting with his wife. So instead, he went and asked his mother for a loan for the money. His mother, Alma, was close to her only son and loved to give him anything that he wanted. So she gave him the money that he wanted in exchange for being able to live in the apartment in the mansion. I guess the upstairs had, like, a separate finished apartment with, like, a kitchen, and that's where she wanted to live. So after a few years, John lost his job at the bank, once again due to his weird personality. They were like, goodbye, sir. You just can't work here anymore. And he could not bear to tell his wife that he had lost his job and that they were falling behind on bills. So instead, he left the house every morning and does the creepiest thing, and I hate this detail so much, he just pretended to go to work. He, <laughs> he would get up in the morning, put on his suit, get his briefcase, get on the train, ride the train for a few stops, get off at the train station, and then just sit there all day and read a newspaper. <laughs> you know, I've read that's common in Japanese culture if you get fired. Really? really? Well, it brings they... so much shame upon your family that they'll continue to go through the motions until they find a job. That makes... They're very hard workers. I mean, I guess that make... culturally that makes more sense. Yeah, but... Would you want to stay at home with that wife of his? Absolutely not. That demanding trickster. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I think I'd rather sit in an empty parking lot, too. <laughs> I'll just sit on this bench and read the newspaper all day long. For eight hours a day, read the same newspaper. I hate yeah. it. <laughs> so during this time, he managed to get a few low-paying jobs during his pretend job at the train station. But over and over... He got fired again for personality issues. So he started taking money out of his mother's accounts to help pay for the family's bills. And very quickly, they were $11,000 behind on the mortgage for Breeze Knoll. John believed that poverty was a sin. And by 1971, the family was completely bankrupt. In addition to these problems, John was growing increasingly concerned about his children his religious views were not sinking into his children, and he was concerned that they were turning to the ways of the world. He thought that the culture of the 1970s was sinful, and he was particularly concerned about his oldest child, Patricia. She was 16 years old and was showing an interest in boys. Gasp. Ooh, how dare she? Sinful. And she also expressed another interest into gasp. Acting. Dun, dun, no. This is heartbreaking. <laughs> How could a family recover? John considered this a particularly sinful hobby and career. And there had even been rumors floating around that she had dabbled in marijuana and witchcraft. The trifecta. Boys, mm -hmm. acting, weed and witchcraft. She'll never <laughs> recover. <laughs> So it's the seventies. It's the seventies. I have a question. I hopefully have an answer. Um, <laughs> so this entire relationship started because he thought he got his future wife pregnant. Correct. So he was having sex outside of marriage, I presume. Hmm. Sounds like a That's little a bit of premarital shenanigans were happening. Yeah. Sounds like sin. <laughs> a whole lot of sin. Sounds pretty going on. sinful. 
Yeah. <laughs> so I don't understand. I, I don't understand his attitude here. Good point. Mm-mm. I never even thought of that, and now I'm even more angry about this man. <laughs> <laughs> he is. So, in addition to all of this, Helen, the wife, began struggling with her health. She had been experiencing blackouts, and the vision in her right eye was going out. And she began drinking heavily and using tranquilizers to manage her illness. Eventually, the test showed that she had tertiary syphilis that she had gotten from her first husband. Oh, mm-hmm. that's... So, untreated syphilis that then caused a lot of health problems. Helen then added to her husband's embarrassment because she stopped going to church to hide her mental instability and her condition. That's really sad, actually. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it actually is sad. She didn't want to go to church and see everybody because she was sick and not doing good. They say that. They say that Hitler had that tertiary syphilis. Yeah, that's part of the reason he was a lunatic. Yep. I'm just worried that, you know, if, if these two lovers can't make it, what hope do the rest of <laughs> If I'm going to be single forever, okay? <laughs> if this story of undying true love right. can't make it through, then the rest of us are just screwed. I have nothing to offer. <laughs> I don't even have syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh, okay. okay, so all of these <laughs> factors were unacceptable to John, and he knew that going bankrupt was inevitable. He considered poverty and going on welfare a sin. He considered taking his own life, but in his religious view, suicide was also a sin. He resented his family for the burden that they put on him. But also, in some twisted way, he wanted to take care of them and see them again. He thought that the world was corrupting them and their chances of happiness, and that they would all be together again in heaven eventually. So he started to devise a meticulous plan. Dun, dun, dun. All right. So, by December of 1971, it had been weeks that anyone had seen the List family, they had not attended church. Also, the lights in the three-story, you said 19-room Victorian home, had remained on. But um, as weird as it was, no one went to the house to check in. They were kind of like a reclusive family. But Patricia's drama teacher was worried about her because she hadn't been in school. So he went to pay a visit to the family home. And neighbors see him looking in and around the home, and they decide to call the police, not because the family's missing, but because this guy is looking in the windows and trying to knock on doors, trying to figure out what's that going on. That scruffy teacher shouldn't be in our nice neighborhood. See yeah. doing here? Uh, they're probably more concerned for their own homes than the List home, because they thought he was a burglar. So police arrive, and the teacher tells them that he's concerned. He hasn't seen Patricia for weeks, and he was just checking to make sure that the family was okay. Police were able to force a window open, and the smell that they were hit with was probably so disgusting. Yuck. Uh, They knew that it had not been good for the family just based on the smell. Another creepy fact is that music was still playing in the home's ballroom, and it was, like, what? <laughs> I'm forgetting my words. <laughs> it was um, classical music, 
Um, playing over the home's just, intercom system. Which is just so creepy to me. In the ballroom, police had found what first appeared to be piles of dirty clothes and sleeping bags laying on the floor. Um, but upon further inspection, they discovered that the clothes had been dirtied with what looked like to be dried blood stains, And this led them to discover that these were not piles of clothes. These were rotting bodies. Helen List and her three children, Patricia, John, and Frederick, lay dead in the ballroom. Upstairs in John's mother's apartment, they found the body of 84-year-old Alma List in her kitchenette. Each victim had a bullet to the head. In all of the family photos, John's face had also been cut out, which is just a horrifying detail. And he was also missing. That detail is the creepiest thing to me that's ever been. It's really creepy. The investigators are just walking through the home trying to find clues, and every family picture that they look like, at, John's face is gone. Hmm, I wonder who did yeah. it. Yeah. What even? I would throw up. <laughs> I would just, everything, the music, the pictures, Ew. like, it's a horror movie. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's disgusting. I hate it. So let's go back and talk about what happened on the day of the murders on the morning of November 9th, 1971, which was about 29 days before they were found. Everything seemed normal. John woke up with his children like he did every morning. They all ate breakfast together. After the children children left for school, John sat with Helen and made small talk while she drank her morning coffee. It was their morning routine. He kept it as normal as possible. And then when she least expected it, John went up behind Helen with his 9mm steer automatic pistol, which had been given to him by his father, and pulled the trigger. He then went upstairs to Alma's apartment where she was making breakfast for herself, and according to John, the religious man that he was, gave his mother a kiss, which symbolized Judas, the Judas kiss, which in religion, or in Christianity, This kiss, um, Judas kissed Jesus, and it was an act of betrayal. And he, you know, he's so religious, so he had to do that too. Alma had heard banging coming from downstairs and asked John what was going on. He said nothing and just shot her right above the left eye, killing her instantly. Her knees broke as she hit the floor, which is just... She's like this frail old lady and Yikes. God, it's sad. That's a sad detail. He then passed the time waiting for his kids to get home from school and he got a lot done. <laughs> he was um, very productive in this time period. <laughs> he cut out the faces. He's very productive. Uh, they didn't have cell phones or anything to make life easier, but during this time, John went back down to his wife's body, wrapped her in a Boy Scout sleeping bag, and then dragged her to the family ballroom. He cleaned up a little bit. He then wrote letters to the milk delivery service to stop their services. He called his children's school and his work and told them that they would be leaving for North Carolina to visit Helen's mother, who was very ill, and to not expect them to be there within the next few weeks. He went to the post office. (laughs) He did not. He went to the post office to send off mail and to stop the family's mail at the Breeze Knoll home. He drove to his bank and closed both bank, both he and Alma's bank accounts. But before this, he cashed out all of her remaining $2,000 bonds. After this, 
He went home and ate a sandwich at the table that he had just murdered his wife at. They've had a busy day. Just hours he, he's before. Gotta refuel. I, I hate it. <laughs> yeah. One of the interviews I saw, he just said, "Well, I got hungry." So yeah, I read that. It just was really what it was, and he laughed what? about it. Like I was hungry. <laughs> Yeah, so I just had to eat a sandwich at the murder table. Obviously. Mm -hmm. What else would one do? This is very American horror story, this whole Mm -hmm. tale. At some point, their daughter Patricia called home because she wasn't feeling good. So John went to pick her up, and as soon as they got inside the house, he shot her in the jaw with an antique pistol, which he had kept from his time in the military. He then put her in a sleeping bag and dragged her into the ballroom, leaving her next to her mother. The next child, Fred, came home from school and was met with the same fate as the other family members. He, too, was put in a sleeping bag and then dragged into the ballroom, laying next to Patricia. John Jr., who was supposedly his favorite, had a soccer game on this day, so John Sr. went to watch him play, you know, casual. And then brought him home, and when they got into the kitchen, he was also shot. Evidence would show that there's a struggle between John Jr. and John Sr., and that John Jr. fought for his life. He was shot multiple times, Mm. but unfortunately, he didn't make it. Again, his body was put in a sleeping bag and dragged into the ballroom next to the other family members. He did try to drag Alma's body downstairs, but she was too heavy, so he left her where she was to be discovered almost a month later in her kitchenette. After murdering his family, John said a prayer over each body, cleaned up, cleaned up the best he could. Uh, it was probably a lot. Mm-hmm. He ate dinner. He cleaned his dishes and then, quote, slept better than I had in years. Oh, my God. This Stop eating meals in the murder house. man. At the table. That makes me... It's like the word, like, my blood is boiling over that detail. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty gross. (sighs) So he's living as if he didn't just butcher his entire family. The next morning, John turned on every light in the house, put on his favorite classical radio station over the internal intercoms, cleaned up a little bit more, and turned down the air conditioning in an attempt to preserve the bodies and... You guys, if you like Googling cases, uh, if you're squeamish or whatever, I don't recommend looking at the pictures. It's disturbing because they are very well preserved, and it just looks like it's stuck in a time capsule. It's very it's bizarre. I did not mean to look thing. at the crime scene photos, and it happened without my consent because of Google images. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's really unsettling. The last thing John did before beginning a new life was to write a very weird five-page confession letter to his pastor where he explains why he killed his family. He goes really hard on Patricia, who, uh, like Ashley said, was working to become an actress and supposedly dabbling in witchcraft. I'm going to read an excerpt from it, but we'll include a link to read the whole thing because it's just the weirdest confession ever. Dear Pastor Raywinkle, I am so sorry to add this additional burden to your work. 
I know that what has been done is wrong from all that I have been taught and that any reasons that I might give will not make it right. But you are the one person that I know that while not condemning this will at least possibly understand why, why I felt I had to do this. One, I wasn't earning anywhere near enough to support us. Everything I tried seemed to fall to pieces. True, we could have gone bankrupt and maybe gone on welfare. Dun, dun, dun. Like the worst thing. Two, but that brings me to my next point. Knowing the type of location that one would have to live in, plus the environment for the children, plus the effect on them knowing that they were on welfare, was just more than I thought they could and should endure. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Because isn't, like, isn't religion's whole thing, like, give to the less fortunate, you know, be not materialistic? Well, I'm pretty sure they're anti-murder throughout most of the Bible. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that too, that too. That's, like, in the time. Thou shall not kill. (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that the first commandment? I don't know the order, but it's on there. (laughs) All, I mean, um, also, Bible says the money is the root of all evil. Yeah. And also, yeah, exactly. Like, my God, sir, what is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> He's cherry picking. <laughs> I'll just take um, this piece from the Bible and this one. Yeah. Exactly. But murder, okay. fine. <laughs> murder is good. Okay, so um, he thought that was more that they can endure. Um, I know they were willing to cut back, but this involved a lot more than that. Number three. With Pat being so determined to get into acting, I was also fearful as to what that might do to her continuing to be a Christian. I'm sure it wouldn't have helped. Four. (sighs) Also, with Helen not going to church, I knew that this would harm the children eventually in their attendance. I had continued to hope that she would begin to come to church soon. But when I mentioned to her that Mr. Jutsi wanted to pay her an elder's call, she just blew up and said she wanted her name taken off the church rolls. Again, this could only have a, an adverse result for the children's continued attendance. Wouldn't, wouldn't them being murdered also have an adverse result on their attendance? <laughs> I would say exactly. that would be the ultimate adverse effect on their yeah, attendance. I don't think the congregation would like them attending after they've been murdered, frankly. No. I know, no. Come as you are, I... but maybe not like that. That's, that's but messed not up. not dead. <laughs> yeah. So he goes on and on and on, and he concludes the letter, P.S. Mother is in the hallway attic, third floor. She was too heavy to move. And that's the end of his confession letter. What a casual P.S. Yeah. (laughs) John M.O. List then walked out of the family home, never to return again. Oh, my God. And it's Ashley's turn. So over the years that followed the murder of the List family, the police followed up on every lead about possible sightings of John List, but nothing ever panned out. John List was in the wind and nowhere to be found. They would rebroadcast news stories and documentaries on every significant anniversary of the crime, and the case was even featured on Unsolved Mysteries. After 18 years, the case was still cold and unsolved. In 1989, the show America's Most Wanted was a new but hit show on Fox, and they toyed around with the idea of showcasing the List trial. 
The producers eventually decided that the case was too old and unlikely to be solved and did not want to feature it. But when the show's host, John Walsh, victim's rights advocate and father of the late six-year-old Adam Walsh, what? I said, I love him. I love him. Also, my dumb butt was like researching this and I was like, that John Walsh? Adam Walsh's dad? Yeah, never mm-hmm. put two and two together. I mean, <laughs> it's to okay. be fair, this episode of America's Most Wanted was before we were even a thought. Uh, was debuted three years before I was born. So, yeah. <laughs> the show's host, John Walsh, victim's right advocate and father of the late six-year-old Adam Walsh, got wind that the police department wanted the show to cover the case and insisted. After the murder of his own son, Adam, in 1981, Walsh had some very strong opinions about John List, reportedly calling him a child killer, a coward, and a son of a bitch. Walsh was determined that the show would take on the case so List could be brought to justice. So after convincing the producers, Walsh made a plan. He knew they would need a photo of what List looked like. They hired forensic sculptor Frank Bender to create an age-progressed bust of what List would look like in 1989. They also called on the services of forensic psychologist Richard Walter to make a comprehensive psychological profile of List. The two worked together using standard facial reconstruction measurements from forensic anthropologists and photos of how John List's parents had aged and created the bust. Which, like, what? How frickin' cool is that? And it's, like, creepy how it's insane. And also just, like, (laughs) brilliant. Like, how does that even happen? Mm -hmm. I'm baffled. Yeah. People smarter than us. (laughs) I know. They're amazing. They're amazing and smarter than us. Bender knew that List had worn glasses, and using the profile created, he combed through thrift stores searching for the perfect pair. The psychologist theorized that List would have worn the same style glasses that he wore in the 1970s to remind him of more successful times. Bender settled on a pair of plain glasses with thick black frames. Once added to the bust, the bust was complete. When the episode of America's Most Wanted debuted, it aired to 22 million people. Wanda Flannery and her daughter Eva Mitchell... Eva Mitchell were two avid true crime fans that lived in Denver. I got so excited when I heard that. Denver true crime fans. <laughs> like, it could have been me. Or you. <laughs> it could have been. In 1989. <laughs> Even before they saw the facial reconstruction, they knew that their former neighbor, Bob Clark, fit the profile. Soft-spoken, a devout Lutheran, an accountant, always wearing a suit. When the bust appeared on screen, they were absolutely shocked and called the tip line. Within 11 days, the FBI showed up at Bob Clark's house in Richmond, Virginia. His wife told them that he was at his job as an accountant, and the agents said that when they arrived, they were shocked by just how much Clark looked like the bust. When the FBI began questioning him, they asked if he was Bob Clark, and he said yes. And then when they asked him if he was John List, he denied it. He even continued to deny it after his fingerprints came back, and they were a complete match for fingerprints they had on file for John List from when he had applied for a handgun in the 70s. This guy. This man. No, it wasn't me. No. 
I swear. Mm -mm. I don't know how that man has my fingerprints. It's the weirdest, it's the darndest thing. He stole my fingerprints. Why aren't you prosecuting him for thievery? Identity theft is not a joke. <laughs> it's not a joke, Jim. Yeah. Thank you. Bears beats Battlestar Galactic. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's like, I don't know what to tell you. That's just the weirdest thing. It's still not me. And the cops <laughs> said, okay. And he was arrested and charged with five counts of first degree murder. After his apprehension, John recounted that he and his new wife had caught the end of America's Most Wanted and watched it together. His heart was pounding and he recalled sweating profusely, but his wife seemed not to recognize him on the television. Which... Do you think she really did not recognize him? I think it's like a like a weird Denial? psychological phenomenon. Yeah, because like, why would that be your husband on the TV? Like, Who murdered his entire family. Yeah, you're like, I don't know, that's weird. That guy kind of looks like Bob, but... <laughs> well, just imagine yes, your first reaction to, like, you know, one of your best friends being arrested for possessing child pornography. Yeah. Right. You're gonna I be would like, be like, whoa, well, they're wrong. There's no, no never. Yes. Super weird. So on April 2nd, 1990, John's trial began. This was 18 and a half years after murdering his whole family. His defense tried to make it second-degree murder because he was evaluated by the court psychiatrist uh, and was diagnosed with OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Plenty of people have OCD, and they don't murder their entire family or murder at all. The trial, right. in my opinion, was extremely short for how long this went on. And on April 11th, after only nine hours of jury deliberation, John Emil List was found guilty on all five counts of first-degree murder. He was sentenced to five consecutive life terms. Um, applause erupted in the courtroom after the sentence was read. But John Walsh, Good. the angel that he is, was not happy with his sentence, and he was Fighting for the death penalty, which I agree with. I also agree with. John Liss tried multiple times over the years to appeal his conviction. He submitted an appeal stating that he was suffering from PTSD as a result of his time in combat during World War II, but the claim was rejected. In a 2002 interview, John told reporters that he did not kill himself after killing his family because he believed that suicide was a sin that you could not be absolved from, and that this way he would be able to repent of his sins and join his family in the afterlife life i don't think that's happening for you john i don't think <laughs> don't that's how don't. it works i wouldn't bet on it <laughs> no I, yeah it's the the logic here is not sound uh, John List eventually died in prison of pneumonia in 2008. He was 82 years old, which I think is bullshit that he got to live to be 82 years old. Mm, yeah. But at least he wasn't in a very fun environment. No. Yeah, that's true. I mean, but he did get to live his life in Denver for and Virginia for a long time, just getting a new wife and doing whatever, going to church or whatever the hell he did. John Walsh credits the cracking of the case to the forensic sculptor Frank Bender, who unfortunately died of mesothelioma in 2011. Walsh kept the bust of List in his office for many years after the conclusion of the case. During the years after the murders, the Breeze Knoll home burned down, and during the insurance inspection, it was discovered that the skylight in the ballroom was actually an original Tiffany stained glass signed by Louis Tiffany himself. Oh, wow. It would have been valued at over a hundred thousand dollars in 1971 this money would have been 
enough money to solve the list family financial problems and then some. Uh, that's a fun detail. Yeah. yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Just a giant middle finger to him. Mm-hmm. It only makes me want to rip my hair out. Like a lot. <laughs> it only makes me want to throw up all over the place. But, you know. <laughs> It was all for nothing. He could have just sold the damn skylight. And then got a divorce. No, he could not. Oh, wait, that's against his... Oh, yeah. Divorce is like... But you know what? Patricia would have still been a witch actress, and And Helen would have still had syphilis, so who knows? she would have been. I hope she would have, too. I hope she would have been living her best witchy actress life. And smoking the reefer all day. Reefer madness. Yeah. She deserved it. <laughs> Alma List's body was buried in St. Lawrence Lutheran Cemetery in Michigan. Helen and her three children were buried in Fairview Cemetery in Westfield. The List's children would have been in their 60s today. And that is the conclusion of the horrific List murders. Yes. Were there any details about what was so odd about his personality that people found distasteful? Um, I did read a theory that some people think that he may have had autism spectrum disorder because he struggled to make eye contact. He had, he struggled with very basic social interactions and a lot of times autism and OCD are a comorbid diagnosis mm-hmm. or sometimes um, autism mimics OCD symptoms so it could have been that or it could have just been he just didn't play well with others. I don't really know. Well, just the fact that he was an accountant suggests to me that he had a very boring personality to begin with. So that's why I didn't right. know yeah. what stood out about him. Right. He yeah, just, I think he just yeah. didn't get along well with others. I think he, even if it wasn't autism, I think he probably had some sort of social deficit. Oh, yeah, yeah, to lose that many jobs despite being considered a hard worker. And having a good work ethic. And and the only thing he kept repeatedly getting fired for was that people didn't like like him. him. Which is so unfortunate. Yeah, that would suck. Like, I know you've done your job, and man, the numbers are looking great. But we just don't like you, so you gotta go. We just don't like you here. (laughs) Oh, man, what a story. It's a bananas story. It is. But shout out to that awesome forensic sculptor. We'll post the pictures on yeah. our Instagram you, because what? You have to look at it, Brad. It's it's crazy. It's when insane. you see his face next to the bust, it's like It's like they looked at a picture of him and made a bust. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. It's weird. That would be a fun okay. job. I know, right? That would be the coolest job ever. I know, I can't do anything with clay, so I couldn't do it, but... I can draw some sick kids' cartoons. <laughs> I drew a mean series of uh, food with faces on it. Preschoolers <laughs> love it. <laughs> Veggie tales, but... Yeah, yeah, but it's like cupcakes and toast and That's little smiling really faces. Cute. Yeah, the kids like it. This is what he would okay. look like if he was a cabbage. Yeah. Here's what John List would look like in 1989 <laughs> as a toast. <laughs> you have to draw that so we could put it up. 
Oh, shit, I will. I'm going to <laughs> right after this. You need to. All right. Um, so sometimes when we've had a real feel-good episode like today, we like to end on a funny story. Do you have any funny stories you want to share with us, Brad? No, not with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, no, I, uh, I, I, do, I do have one because I ran into lots of fun people back in my days of practice. Uh-huh. One that stands out is uh, for a while I worked at a firm where the founding uh, attorney spoke Spanish, so we had a pretty large Hispanic clientele. And um, this dude came in and he was furious. He was so mad. And he said, I need to sue my doctor for $25,000. And we were like, That's a lot. Okay. Um, well, mad specific, but all yeah. right. I guess, tell us what happened. And he said, well, my um, wife left me. And so I went to the doctor and he promised that he could get her back for me. And it would only cost $25,000. And so I'm sitting there rather befuddled. And <laughs> I said, okay, um, you know, doctors do things like set broken bones. and um, Prescribe antibiotics. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I haven't heard of one, you know, delving into the return of a uh, a strange spouse. <laughs> and he said, well, no, no, you don't understand. This was a witch doctor. And I paid oh, him $25,000. Oh, <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. And, uh, you know, she won't talk to me. She's blocked my number. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay. He's All right, like, bud. So, I want you to sue the witch doctor. And I'm like, all right, well, um, first of all, I don't really know how to sell this to a jury. Yeah, how do you, because I don't know if there's a legal precedent for this. <laughs> um, you know, it sucks that he took your money, but I kind of think that most residents of our county would view that as a stupid tax. And yeah. wouldn't really be willing to give you that money back. Like, no, he's, he's a witch doctor and he's well respected and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, to Americans, that just is not <laughs> going to fly. Yeah. It's not going to work, bud. And he did something. He took your money, sir. That's what he did. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, and and I said, you know, and, and secondly, um, I don't want to wake up with a tail tomorrow because I pissed off the wrong witch doctor. <laughs> you never that know. witch doctor definitely would have put a hex on you. Yeah. For sure. So mm -hmm. in case this dude really does have powers, um, I'm not going to be the guy to go against him. I'm not going to cross him. Just not going to do it. And you know, the, uh, the community of attorneys that speak Spanish is rather limited. And so we heard that he visited virtually every one of them looking for someone to sue to the witch doctor. Case. To get his $25,000 back or to get his wife back. He would have been happy with that, too. Oh, my gosh. This man. Doctor could have kept the money if, you know, he could have used the chicken blood to bring the wife back. I see that's, why she left. That's so unfortunate. <laughs> that is. I just can't. I mean, this was your very stereotypical Hispanic day laborer looking guy, you know? Mm -hmm. And the fact that he had $25,000 to give to a witch doctor. I told my wife that law is not where it's at. We need to be, you know, practicing witch doctors because apparently they're just pulling. 
Yeah. Oh my god. That is insane. So, you know, if your regular jobs don't work out and the We're podcasting jobs yeah, or the wrestling jobs don't work out, then we've added a Witch fourth. doctors. Yeah. Perfect. Because I don't really know how someone would call you out on doing a bad job. Mm-mm. You can't. Like you said, no legal precedence. No one will take your case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know of an attorney that would be desperate enough to take that case. My retainer fee as a witch doctor is twenty five thousand. <laughs> yes. How do you say that with a straight face? That's that what is... I don't understand. Yeah. Yes, I will bring your wife back to you. I take cash, check, or visa. No visa. We don't leave no, a trail. <laughs> no visa. <laughs> no cash we don't or leave money a trail. order. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, I thought it was. I know you had a funny story, Ashley, that you've been dying to tell. Do you have anything? Um, well, yeah. Yesterday, I spent the last few hours of my day because <laughs> I do Uber delivery and I couldn't see over my driver's side window. And so I was car... only 4'11". <laughs> and my car got stuck on a rock. And it was stuck there for about an hour and a half, and I had to get towed off of it. And then I found out that it was the drunk rock that they purposely put there so drunk people wouldn't run into the building. Um, (laughs) I'll post pictures of it. (laughs) And Talia, stone cold sober, ran over the drunk rock because she's too small to see over her. Embarrassing. And the whole street had to be blocked off so they could pull me off (laughs) of this rock. They sent security to check on her. Yeah, they sent security, too, to make sure that there was no property damages and to make sure that I was sober because I hit the drunk rock. Right. And, yeah. it Was Was the rock okay? Yeah. I think I'm going to write a complaint about it. I think I should. But it's still there. My car is not damaged. That's good. Amazingly. Yeah. I don't know The how. rock was like in between the two front wheels of her car. I don't know how your car is <laughs> functional. Yeah. I'm going to post a picture of it today because it's just wild. So, <laughs> Ashley, what's your story? Okay. So, on thir- Friday, Friday, my oldest kid on my caseload, um, he's almost five, and this kid's a hoot, and he's kind of a handful and he just says the funniest things. And we're sitting at the table and he's doing some work that I gave him. And he looks at me and says, you have a V Georgia. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Oh, no. <laughs> and he said, a V Georgia. And I was like, dude, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> a V Georgia. Dude, I don't know what you're saying. You got to give it to me in a sentence. And they said, well, I'm a boy and I have a penis. So you're a girl and you have a V Georgia. <laughs> I love kids. Isn't that right? And I was just like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Please tell me How that was you... your response to the child. I know. Like, what do you even say back to that? I just, I just stared at him and inside I'm dying. And I'm trying so hard not to laugh. (laughs) And I just said, well, you're not wrong, but we don't have to talk about that at school. And then I just moved on. That is a really good response. (laughs) And changed the subject. Wow. 
of a Georgia. <laughs> and they're so innocent, too. And, like, they speak He was so serious about it. So much conviction in their words. He was like, words. You ha- you're a girl, right? He's like, yeah. <laughs> then you have a Georgia. I was like, what the heck did you say? <laughs> at least his parents are using the correct terms at home. Oh, I told his mom when I dropped him off. I'm like, so today he um educated me all about the difference between boys and girls. <laughs> and she was like, oh, God, what did he say? <laughs> She's probably mortified. And I told her. And she was like, um, my mom's a a preschool teacher so she's like very adamant about teaching him you know the correct terms for everything i'm like no that's great i think all kids should know it's very very important mm-hmm. um it just made my day that he called it a georgia and i will never call it anything different now just so you know <laughs> and she's like yeah and you're gonna go home and tell everybody aren't you and i was like oh absolutely it's going on the podcast <laughs> not only am i gonna tell everybody at home <laughs> <laughs> i'm telling everybody and i'm putting it on the internet yeah <laughs> i will not use names but it's going on the internet <laughs> Yes. Everyone needs to know about the elusive Georgia. <laughs> well, that's neat. We had a witch doctor, a drunk rock, and a Georgia. <laughs> that's the name of this fun. episode. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Yes. It's perfect. <sighs> perfect. All right. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Brad. Um, Do we need to spin the wheel? Yeah. Do you want to stick with us um, to spin the wheel, or are you sick of us? I, I, it's either y'all or my kids, so I pick y'all. <laughs> we win yes. yes i hope your kids hear that just kidding <laughs> i tell them all the time dad likes us better <laughs> just kidding <laughs> i get it i have one and i yeah you have four how many kids do you have i have three boys oh they're boys yeah oh, they're i have boys. one boy and he's enough yeah one boy is enough <laughs> yeah yeah three boys is too many <laughs> <laughs> only it's crazy too, too people many. do things like this yeah your poor wife i mean <laughs> she's so outnumbered she's also the princess so oh i'm sure i'm sure she's well, treated she... like royalty yeah she's never had to get up to get her own drink or good for her she shouldn't she's the she lone should. yeah <laughs> <laughs> the queen of the house as she should be okay uh. so who is first this week you. You're first. Technically, we did two hosts, one story, so it could reset. We could make our own rules. Okay, let's do you first. Let's make Brad choose. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who should be first? Who should be first, Brad? I think uh, I'm still scared of the Oompa Loompas, so Ashley. So left shark goes first? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mommy shark? Yeah, mommy All right. shark's going to go first. Here we go for mommy shark. Give us a good A ghost story. Fine, a ghost story. <laughs> That's Ashley's least favorite. <laughs> ghost I'll do story it. for Ashley. Okay. I'll do it. My turn. I'm going to be very put out about it, but I'll do it. <laughs> oh, I got one from Brad. <gasps> Homicides that cross borders. That's a suggestion from Brad? Yeah. Oh my god, you guys, our homie Brad over at Killing Miss and Hidden put this suggestion on the Wheel of Murder for us. <laughs> and he's here with us. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Brad. I know we're a lot to handle sometimes. <laughs> Y'all are delightful.
We're so happy that you are here. Once, yeah. once we get past the horrible opening questions, y'all are delightful. <laughs> well, thank we have you. no regrets. <laughs> yeah. And don't forget to go over and listen to Kill and Miss and Hidden. Brad is very well researched in his stories. Um, you know, if you like more, I guess, serious. If you want to hear a professional. If you want to hear a professional. To yeah. <laughs> Right. Build me to up Brad. to a standard I can't meet. If you want to hear a train wreck, stay on this channel. Yes, or just go to both. Listen or to both, whatever your mood on. is. Yeah, that's what I would advocate. Yeah, um, Brad, you want to pimp your social media channels one more time? Oh Plug yeah, yeah. Them? Um, I can, of course, listen to us because you know I'm amazing. Um, that's right. Then we've got we're on Instagram at. KMH Podcast. We're on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page, Killing Us and Hidden. There's even a private group you can join where I what? actually let people make decisions about what cases we're going to handle and things like that. I'm going to join that group and stir it up. <laughs> <laughs> every... Like, oh my God, did you hear that Brad would rather see BTK? Did you know that Brad has a secret BTK fetish? <laughs> We've got him on tape admitting to it. <laughs> We're going to, like, cut it up and make it so like, <laughs> just, It'll just be the clip of Brad saying, yeah, I think I'd rather see BTK in lingerie. <laughs> That's all I'm going to post. I oh uh, strongly regret coming on this program now, and we're <laughs> actively campaigning. He's a lawyer! We can't do this with a lawyer. Tawana's <laughs> <laughs> <is> crying. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny okay i mean if you want to throw to hands we can throw hands but whatever yeah <laughs> sorry brad no that's okay <laughs> embarrassing I mean... me was far more important than anything else <laughs> okay go follow brad on social media sorry i stole your plug to torture you yeah i don't i don't think you are but thank you for the word i'm not honestly <laughs> All right, good entertainment. Uh, remember, we uh be weird, but just don't murder people. Like, yeah, don't you can be, be as weird as you want. Just don't murder. Just don't murder or be an asshole. And we love you guys, and be safe. And we'll see you soon. Yeah. Bye. 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 <gasps> Podcast.